Good morning. Last Sunday on the way home from church, I was listening to the Moth Story Hour on KUOW. Maybe some of you have that on your radios. As you go home from church, one of the storytellers, and maybe you will remember this if you were listening last week, one of the storytellers was an Irish woman who came from a family of six sisters. They were sisters who had learned about how to be strong and courageous and bold and independent women from their father, their beloved father. Their dad was a central figure in their lives, and not only did he teach them to be strong women, he connected the family. And when their dad died suddenly in his early 70s, these women were all in middle adulthood, and the bond that they thought was so strong suddenly began to unravel. Each of them wondered, how do I go on being family? How do I go on being in the world without the one who is always there encouraging, teaching, guiding, and connecting, even as they were adults? When I heard that story on the moth last week, I thought of this couple on the road to Emmaus. These two friends of Jesus, followers who had lost a beloved one. And not only a beloved, but the one who had tied their group together. The one who had showed them what it meant to be God's beloved children. Who told them they were beloved, who healed, who served, who ate with them at the table again and again. The one who was the center of their community. And not only that... Not only was he a beloved father figure, a teacher, the one in whom they had hoped. He was the one in whom they had hoped. A people under occupation, they had a very real hope that Jesus was the leader who would liberate them finally from occupying forces. Jesus' leadership and charisma tied this disparate and diverse group of disciples together. Uh, The junior high Sunday school class read this story together with me in Sunday school last week, and Madeline suggested the image of a bracelet that had been tied together and the knot that holds everything together comes apart. And I, I saw that image immediately. Naomi recently gave me a necklace in which the knot at the end had come undone and all the beads were falling off, and she wanted me to fix it, but it wasn't long enough. The string wasn't long enough. I couldn't retie the knot. Each friend, each follower, each disciple is a bead that's held together by Jesus, their beloved Jesus. And once his binding presence is missing, they begin to scatter. Cleopas and his wife are headed back to to Emmaus. They've left others in Jerusalem, confused by the story of an empty tomb, a missing body, angels, and they are bitterly disappointed. They grieve. So much is held in that phrase, but we had hoped. And don't we all hope? This is a beloved Easter story, and I think in part because of the details that allow us to come into the story, to identify with the disciples who are walking on their way. We, too, have hoped. I've heard people experiencing infertility talk about the bitterness of hoping, of longing for a child. 
to be disappointed, not just once, but again and again. Perhaps disappointment comes with disease or mental illness. We thought we had seen the end of returning. We had hoped. Or the hope and disappointment of broken relationship, of love and trust betrayed, the kind of hope, that kind of hope is the kind that comes with deep, long-lived yearning, perhaps, as in this case, even for generations. Jesus' companions had hoped. And we, too, place our hopes, like they did, in political individuals to see those hopes dashed. It will always happen. Then they meet Jesus on the road, but of course they do not know that it is Jesus. And they tell him, they pour out the story of their broken, ho- their broken hope. And he calls them foolish. Oh, you silly people. He retells the story of God's people to them. And their hope begins to be rewoven. Story by story from the Torah and from the prophets, he ties them back into that narrative of God's people and God's story. And when at the end they realize at the table that it was Jesus who was walking along with them, they say to each other, were not our hearts burning inside us when he opened the scripture to us on the road? Those stories, their stories, remind them of who and whose they are. Not a nation's, not a leader's, but God's own beloveds. In that moth story that I heard last week about the sisters and their father, in the months after the funeral at which these six sisters have carried their father's body and laid it to rest, one of the sisters gets a text message. It's from her dad. Or at least it's from her dad's number. And it says... I'm home now. You can call on me anytime. I get a little choked up just thinking about it again. This text was probably some kind of a glitch in the system. It was resending the last thing he had texted to her before he died. I'm home now. You can call me anytime. But this woman took it as a prompt to connect again with her sisters. To recount this message in their community, to wonder together, to remember together whose they were, and to rebuild the bonds of family, re-knotted in a way that had their father woven into the whole fabric. Cleopas and the other disciple, their hope for a Messiah has been disappointed. Bitterly, bitterly disappointed. They will always be disappointed if they seek escape from the tyranny of political oppression through a person. If they're waiting for some kind of a political leader to overthrow or rebel or out-politic their occupiers. Their hope for a Messiah who walks along with them, though, 
who explores God's word and opens it together with them, that Messiah is present. That Messiah is present every time God's people are gathered together. Every time we walk, we serve, we sit with, we eat together. Our experience of Jesus may happen most often in retrospect. It can be very hard to see Jesus walking alongside us in the moment. Especially when that moment is one of grief, disappointment, and lost hope. I don't want to get all uh, footprints on you here, but it is often when we reflect back on experiences that we can say, didn't my heart burn within me? When such and such a thing happened. These two disciples are compelled. When they realize whom their walking buddy has been on these miles, they turn around and head straight back to their community. They begin to realize that they have a hope of a different nature. Hope for a new kind of freedom, one they did not understand, and probably don't even, as as Doug was talking about, fully understand yet. This is still a moment of confusion. But they figure it out with their friends in Jerusalem, witnessing to each other, continuing the work of loving, of healing, of proclaiming Jesus, weaving themselves back into a community. I wonder if, in our disappointed hopes, particularly when they are hopes tied up in political figures or aspirations, we might do well to remember that we are not securely tied into something that God is weaving. That eye-opening, get-back-on-the-road moment for the disciples came at the table. A table, maybe something like this one before us. It came when Jesus broke the bread and they shared it. Jesus known through a physical, tangible thing, a thing they could put their hands on. And in those look back moments when we say, yes, that that was Jesus with me. How often are they moments that a friend or companion shared a meal, a kind word, a token of encouragement, prayer, Maybe they are moments when reconciliation is found after a rift, when community is gathered, or in renewed physical health, or in a new understanding and peace with physical decline at a table. Some of you might have seen the Heineken ad that is floating around on social media. It's meant to tug at our heartstrings and our tear ducts and it definitely does. I will maybe put a link to it in my, on, our, on our Facebook page. Uh, it's people who are ideologically opposite are tasked with several challenges that they must complete together. And then, after they've been working together, they sit down and they're given a short survey in which they must describe themselves to each other. And then, they're invited to watch a short video of the person that they've been working with, talking intimately with, talking candidly about their ideology. The one that was most striking to me was a trans woman talking about feeling uh, like an outsider, misunderstood, 
and a man who very openly was hateful toward trans people. They watched these things, and then they were given an option. They can go on their way, or they can sit down at the bar that they have just built and talk about their differences over a beer. A Heineken, of course. Well, of course, Heineken wouldn't show the people that walked away, but they showed people with ideological differences sitting down, talking about it at a table, after common work, after shared life, after intimate stories put before them. That sounds a lot like the body of Christ to me. And I am not opposed to sharing the body of Christ over a beer. And I invite you to join me at the table this morning as we begin communion. I invite you to join me in the hope that is in Jesus and in the people of God. I invite you into tying yourself into the care of a community and the love of God. And I invite you into hope renewed.